0: Well, good morning. My name's Stephen, and I'm one of the pastors here. Last week, Sarah started off a new series for us called Hashtag With Me, where we're looking at relationships during the time that we live in. We're looking at uh, the way the changes, the, the pressure points, the things that have really been difficult, uh, and where we need encouragement in our relationships during this time. And last week, Sarah got us started by talking about friendships, which have changed so much over the past six, six months, right? Uh, and as she ended, she started talking about loneliness. And I was thinking about loneliness and I felt a real invitation from Jesus to do a deeper dive into loneliness, what it looks like for us during this time and the invitation of Jesus in the midst of it. So that's where we're going to go this morning. You know, I recently read a book called uh, Wait With Me by a man named Jason Gabriel, And Jason tells the story at the beginning of his book about uh, meeting with Friar Hugo, his spiritual director. And he's sitting there and he's opening up about his lifelong struggle with loneliness at the beginning and and just really pouring it out to Friar Hugo. And Friar Hugo sits there and he nods and he smiles and he he has lots of empathy and compassion. And at the end, he looks at him and he said, Jason, to be human is to be lonely. To be human is to be lonely. Loneliness in 2020 is normalcy. To be a human in 2020 is to be lonely. That is our reality right now. Maybe you live alone and you feel lonely because at the end of the day, there's no one there who asks you how your day was going and checks in. Maybe you feel lonely because you're a parent and at the end of the day, you are so emotionally fried that you don't have any space, but you desperately want to just hang out with an adult. Maybe you feel lonely because you're in a new situation, like a new job or a new school or a new house, and you are so uh, missing your familiar, safe faces that you're used to seeing, or maybe you've just gone on vacation, you got home, uh, and, and you've been around people the most that you've been around in a long time, and yet in the middle of that, you still feel lonely. That was my experience recently. A couple of weeks ago, we went on vacation with my wife's family, and as we're, we're there about halfway through the week, I was just not feeling my best, not doing my best. And I bounced back, and and it was good. But when we got home, we were talking about it. And I was kind of working through what had been going on emotionally. And, And by the end of the conversation, I just said, you know, honestly, Sarah, I just felt lonely. I just felt like I was kind of the extra person the whole time. And Sarah nicely looks at me, and she said, Stephen, honestly, that's on you. You made yourself be alone. You isolated yourself. Sometimes we're lonely because life happens and we're in situations that are difficult. Sometimes we're lonely because we are truly alone. And other times we are lonely because we've isolated ourselves and made it extremely difficult for people to be able to break in past uh, the barriers that we've put up. I know I'm not the only one who struggles with this. Many of us do too. You know, in 2019, Time Magazine did a poll uh, of different age groups and how lonely that they were on a regular basis. And 79% of Gen Zers uh, over 18, 18 to 22-year-olds, said that they were lonely most of the time. 71% of Millennials, that's my generation, said that they felt lonely often. 65% of Gen X. 50% of boomers, 38% of 72 and older. Those are painfully high numbers. If you kind of collapse it a little bit, that means that about 70% of people under the age of 50 feel lonely regularly or often. Those numbers shouldn't provoke any judgment. They should provoke deep senses of empathy and sadness for the state of of our culture, of our world, that 70% of people under the age of 50 feel lonely often, regularly. And during 2020, during the pandemic, you think those numbers have gone down? No, they've gone up. 81% of millennials feel that way, 72% of boomers. The other numbers have stayed just as high The pandemic hasn't made loneliness go away. In fact, it's made it intensified and and made it feel even more personal and universal than it ever did before. So what is the answer? For a while, we thought that social media was the answer, right? All of a sudden, Facebook, MySpace, whatever it was, uh, we were looking at it. We're like, yes, this is the answer. I never have to be alone. I'll always have people that I'm in touch with but we know now that that's not the reality and there's some psychology behind it. One of the interesting things that I came across was uh, that a baby uh, catalogs faces. When they're first coming into the world, they, they, they learn about emotions and, and, and friendliness and, and trustworthiness and all those types of things, uh, wonder, curiosity, even attraction based on faces and they start to catalog it in their mind. And we as adults continue to do that as we get older. We catalog faces and we learn attraction and curiosity and wonder as we grow. And this almost infantile impulse is what actually feeds our social media addictions <laughs> every time we go on instagram TikTok, or facebook we see faces that we are given an opportunity to delight to experience curiosity attraction and yes of course envy and we catalog it all but social media doesn't answer our relational needs because if i'm sitting across from you hanging out having a cup of coffee talking experiencing say that we're at a new place and we're seeing all the things and we're really, you know, we're engaging with it together. We're having a lot of fun. And I walk away from that. My relational cup is going to feel pretty full. but when I'm on Instagram in the same instance, I'm at a new place that I think is really cool and I'm enjoying it and I take a picture or a video and I put it on Instagram for an anonymous mass group of people to see, I'm posting about my life And I'm hoping that others, mostly, honestly, people who I don't spend any time with, people who I don't really care to spend time with, if we're being honest, I'm hoping that they will like it or find it attractive, or maybe even be just a little bit jealous of what I'm experiencing, but I'm not going to walk away from that with a relational cup being full. Social media is not necessarily bad. I'm not saying that. But it is definitely not the answer to our loneliness. And in fact, it makes our loneliness worse. It truly does. How would my life look if instead of spending five hours a week, which maybe it's more, maybe it's less, but instead of spending five hours a week on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, fill in the blank, whatever it is, I spent that time with people intentionally. It's harder, right? It's more difficult to make time for people. You have to get off your couch, out of your bed, out of your house. You have to go put yourself forward a little bit. You have to reach out to people. You have to put yourself out there. It's harder. There's no doubt. That's one of the beauties of social media is that it's do it when you want to do it uh, appeal, But here's a challenge for you. This week, how about if you cut your social media time in half? And you spend half of that time intentionally with someone. Really digging into a relationship face to face. How about if you try that out this week? See if it makes a difference in your loneliness. You know, often our replacements for relationships, our supposed answers to loneliness only lead us to being, to feeling more lonely. There, there's a constant dissatisfaction that grows up within us and we're never satisfied. We are always wanting more. The Vikings, they called it wonderlust. Uh, Saint Augustine called it restlessness. We just call it loneliness. So what is the answer? Well, it shouldn't be a shock to you that I want to look at the answer in the Bible. In the very beginning of the Bible is where I want to start. Genesis 1, it says this, Then God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was very good. We've come to the end of the creation account in Genesis chapter one on the sixth day. God looks at everything that he's made and he says that it's good. He looks at the planets, He looks at the oceans. He looks at the trees and the animals. And yes, he looks at humans in the form of Adam and he says, this is good. And then in chapter two, verses 18, just about 20 verses later, in the middle of a micro version of the creation account versus the macro version that we see in Genesis chapter one, God says it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Everything is good. All of creation is good, except for this one thing— being alone. That is not good. Now, what does this mean? Is this kind of throwing some shade at uh, alone time? Because I like my alone time. So I don't want you to say that that's not a good thing. Well, that's not what this is really talking about. It's not talking about an hour by yourself. Alone, the word here means separated. And the, the word picture that you should have is that of breaking a tree branch off of a tree. It's forcefully separated, it's broken off. It can't just be reattached with crazy glue. It can't just be held there until it reconnects once again. It is forcibly removed, it's isolated, it's forced aloneness, unable to be reattached. And God says that that type of aloneness is not good. Why? Well, because as one theologian said, God relationships are modeled after God who does not exist in isolation but is a trinity God is relationship God is communal three and one father son and holy spirit always together always connected, always working as one, and we are created in his image. We are created to be in relationships. Isolation is not God's plan or way of doing life. That's not what he wants for us. That's not his best. Being in relationships is good. Being isolated is not So how do we begin to step out of our isolation and into relational wholeness? Well, Henry Nowen, one of my favorite authors once said, In loneliness, we are out of touch with God and experience ourselves as anxiously looking for someone or something that can give us a sense of belonging, intimacy, and home. The place of wholeness, the the movement out of isolation comes in our relationship with Jesus. And then it flows into our relationship with others. Friar Hugo, who I mentioned at the very beginning, he said, To know someone is to enter their story, to grow your compassion and empathy for them and their experience. So when was the last time that you entered into Jesus's story? You know, we often bring our stuff to Jesus, right? We tell Jesus what's going on with us. We talk to him about our sin and our grief and our burdens and our temptations and our disappointments and our loneliness. And we lay it all down before him. We give it all up to him. We lay it out before him. And this is good. And Jesus tells us to do this. He encourages us to live this way. But that's only one side of the relationship. You know, if you have a friend who comes over to your house and uses up your precious uh, people time during uh, this crazy year that we've been in by just sitting with you outside unloading about what's going on in their lives. For a couple hours they just sit there and they just toss it all out they're just throwing it out you're not getting the breath in you're just making the empathetic noises mm, mm-hmm, right okay <laughs> you're just going with that and then they finish and they get up and they leave You are not gonna hang out with that friend very much after that, right? You're gonna be done. You're gonna walk away from that because that's not a friendship. That's therapy and they owe you some money for sitting there and dealing with that. And that's the same thing with our relationship with Jesus. If human relationships are reflections of our relationship with Jesus, then we need to accept the invitation of Jesus to enter into his story to learn about his experience, to experience his experience, to engage with him, to have empathy for what's going on, to truly know him. So when was the last time that you entered into the loneliness of Jesus? Well, Jesus experienced loneliness and isolation in profound and deep ways. And I want to read one of them from Matthew 26, 36 through 46. We're going to look at this. And I just want to invite you, you don't need to necessarily open up your Bibles, just listen and allow yourself to engage with the experience of Jesus, experience his loneliness, his brokenness, his his grief, his heartbreak, his pain in this. Listen to this. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. And he took Peter and James and John and he became anguished and distressed. And he said, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And he went on a little farther and he bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and he found them asleep. And he said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? And then Jesus left them a second time. And he prayed, Father, if my cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping. For they couldn't keep their eyes open. So they went, uh, he went a third time to pray, saying the same things again. And when he came back, the disciples he saw he said he saw them and he said, Go ahead and sleep, have your rest, but look, the time has come, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's get going. Look, my betrayer is here. So let's look at what's going on here. Jesus is having a hard time. This follows the Last Supper. It follows when he washes their feet and he tells them that he's about ready to be be betrayed. He tells them that he's getting ready to die. And so they go to Gethsemane and Jesus goes there to pray. Now they went to Gethsemane a lot. It was a common place for travelers to stay and to spend the night when they came to Jerusalem. So it wasn't abnormal to go there. It wasn't abnormal for them in the least. And Jesus would often go there and pray. But this time Jesus says, stay awake with me while I pray. I need you to be with me. I'm heartbroken. I'm distressed. I'm grieving. I'm struggling. Stay awake with me. And he goes away and he prays and he comes back and they're asleep. And he's broken and he wakes them up and he says, guys, come on, please. I need you right now. I need you. Be with me in this time. And he goes back and he comes back and they're asleep again and he gives up. And he goes to pray. His closest friends on the night that he is the most vulnerable, the most alone, can't even stay awake with him for one hour. Peter, couldn't you even stay awake with me? I'm so alone. I'm hurting. I'm depressed. Even my father, who I've never been disconnected from in my entire time of being, feels far away. Couldn't you just sit with me for one hour? It's like reading a journal and coming to the part where you're so embarrassed. You're like, oh no, I should not be reading this. I should not uh, be in the middle of this. This is too personal. It's too uncomfortable. We enter into the loneliness of Jesus. And in that place, we begin to understand that the point of inviting him into our loneliness is not momentary relief from our pain, from what we are feeling that 's not the object of inviting Jesus into our loneliness. We are entering into a deep and lasting understanding between Jesus and me. a space where I can know that I am known. Where is my hope in my isolation in loneliness? here's where it is. I am known by someone who knows me. I am known by someone whom I know. Jesus knows me and I know him. That is our hope. When I hear those Good Friday words of Matthew 27, Jesus calling out saying, Eli, Eli, Lamech, Sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm invited to feel the extreme isolation of someone who has chosen to be relationally separated from his father, from someone who he has never been separated from before and will never be separated from again. And why? So that I could be in relationship with him. I'm invited to enter into his loneliness because I am known by one whom I know. In his book, Wait With Me, Jason Gabery says, I used to think that Jesus could sympathize with me in my loneliness. Now I believe that my experiences of loneliness help me to know Jesus. It's about building a relationship in the midst? What if our loneliness became the context for a deeper life with Jesus and a launching pad for greater consolation for others? What if that was the result of our loneliness? Consolation is not a word that we use very often, right? But here's what it means. Con means to be and solace means with the lonely one. We are to be bringers of consolation. We are to be with the lonely ones. Jesus is the bringer of consolation. He has brought it to us. And in being with him, we learn how to be with others. Henry Nouwen, again, once wrote, to console does not mean to take away the pain, but rather to be there and say, you are not alone. I am with you. Together we can carry the burden. Don't be afraid. I am here. Our world, friends, is increasingly filled with lonely people. And the answer is not to sink further into our own loneliness. The answer is not to disappear into a place of restlessness and dissatisfaction that is fueled by media. The answer is not to do everything possible to avoid the feelings that we all have. The answer is to be known by one whom we know. Are you willing to be people who are bringers of consolation, to be people who are with the lonely ones? Here's my challenge. I challenged you already on this a little bit, and I want to challenge you on it again. This week, spend time with people. Be intentional, step outside of your 2020 funk and hang out with people. Invite them over to sit on your front porch in your backyard, have a fire, go for a walk, uh, drink a cup of coffee outside at the park, whatever it is, spend intentional time with someone who you know, who cares about you, who you really value. Do that this week. And here's my second uh, challenge to you. This week, be with someone in your life who's lonely. Seek them out. Reach out to them. Love on them. Be with them in the midst of where it is that they're at and what it is that they're going through. Be a bringer of consolation to someone in your life. Do that this week. Are we willing to be bringers of consolation We learn how to do this. We have the depth and the strength to do this simply by living into this truth that I am known by someone whom I know. I know Jesus and Jesus knows me. That's our truth. I wanna invite you right now to pray with me. And if you're sitting there and you don't know Jesus, I wanna ask you to pray with me specifically. So pray with me. Just open up your hands and just repeat what it is that I'm going to say, okay? It'll be short and sweet, I promise, just like three sentences. But right now, if you don't know Jesus, if Jesus doesn't know you, so to speak, if you haven't let him in, let's pray. Jesus, right now I just say that I want to know you. And I invite you to come and to know me. I lay down my, my griefs, my, uh, my weightiness, my loneliness, my isolation, my troubles, my temptations, all the things. I, I open them up before you and just give them up to you and ask for you to come and to reveal to me who you are so that I can know you more. Jesus, I pray that you will be with each person that just prayed that prayer. I pray that right now that you will come and be with them. Come and answer that cry. I pray for all of us who are here this morning. I pray that we will know you, that we will know you deeply and personally, that we will be known by you, that we will open ourselves up to you and allow you to come and to speak to us. We love you, Jesus. We want more of you in our lives. In Jesus' name.